Aleluya. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, my Redeemer. Such a sweet presence of the Lord here this morning. Praise God. Hallelujah. As you come in, there's a sign. It says, Together, my favorite place to be. We've had to be together electronically. And for the season, that sufficed. But how good and pleasant it is for us to be physically together again. Thank God. Thank God. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated. Praise God. For the rest of the pastoral team, uh, I tried mightily to find if I could go someplace else this morning in the preaching, and it just kept coming up, this particular passage of Scripture. You're going to hear more from this particular passage of Scripture as days go by, and you've already heard a lot about it. It's not something uh, out of the, you know, out of the book of Hezekiah or something. It's, it's well familiar, John chapter number four. One of the longer stories in the Gospels. You know, so many times we can take a verse and go for a couple of hours with it. Maybe sometimes just one word in a verse. But I'm going to bring a lot of scripture this morning and it's all in one place. And I want the word of the Lord to do its work in your hearts this morning. I'm going to have some other comments, but I want the word of the Lord to sink down into your very being as the master soul winner dealt with the situation of someone who was in need and did not really realize that there was an answer. Does that sound like our world today? No idea that, oh yeah, she gave lip service to it, but she really didn't have hope for herself. John chapter 4, beginning with verse 3. So he, speaking of Jesus, left Judea and returned to Galilee. Now that was usually accomplished by the Jews crossing uh, over to the west bank of the Jordan River, going through the Jordan Valley, up and back across into Galilee, so they would skip 
the journey through Samaria. It was out of the way, but it could keep them ritually clean, and it kept them from going through what was at least partially hostile territory. But he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Now, we're going back with that nearly 2,000 years from the time this story happened. You say, well, the Bible's an old book. Yeah, but the sun's an old sun, and it keeps coming up every morning. There's an old moon, but it sure is nice when it's a full moon, and you're needing to go somewhere and need the light. Jacob's well was there in this plot of land that, that Jacob had given to Joseph. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water at noon. And he said to her, Please, give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples, however many of them there were, had gone into the village to buy some food. It's going to become important here in a minute. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. Hmm. Much the same problems, much the same attitudes that we still find throughout our world, not just here, but throughout the world. And she said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why? Are you asking me for a drink? This is not, dare I use the word kosher? This is not the way things work. This is not according to the accepted customs of our day and our place. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Now, living water (coughs) is springing water. Jacob's well was not from a spring. Jacob's well was more or less like a cistern. It gathered water during the rainy season and then later in the year went dry. But I would give you living water. 
an endless supply. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? It's a bit of a quandary. She's a bit of a smart aleck. If you're so smart, why ain't you rich? If you can do all of this, why are you asking me for a drink? Quick comebacks. And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? How can anything be better than what we've already had? How can life reach a different level than what I've already experienced? Is there anything more than this? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will become thirsty again. Well, duh. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. There's something here. There's something to this. If you walk away thirsty this morning, it's not his fault. He's provided living, unending, eternally supplied, refreshing water. I just need to tap into it. You just need to tap into it. You just need to take what he's already made available to us. If you'll drink of this water and keep drinking it, you will not be thirsty. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving eternal life. Hallelujah. I remember one time after my parents had died, my brother and I made a trip to Tennessee. My parents had about, about 35 acres of land there. And uh, since my brother lived in Texas and I lived in Oklahoma and the property was in Tennessee, we needed to get rid of it. And as we were walking the, the property, we came across a place where out of a rock face, there was a spring. Now, I had passed a, a pond a short time before, and as I followed it, was going back up toward the house. We came to this rock. On the other side of it was just more land. But out of the face of that rock came a spring. Cool, refreshing, purified by filtration through dirt. 
water. Water. Wasn't fluorinated, wasn't fluoridated, wasn't high-priced, wasn't bottled. It was a, a spring. It was always there, and it was always available. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. And I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. I won't have to make this trip in the heat of the day to avoid those gossipy women that I can't come here with in the morning or in the evening. Let me have it. Let me have it. She was thinking of the good things for her side of it. She was thinking of the physical she was thinking of the social. She was thinking of the emotional. And Jesus was talking in the spiritual. I won't have to. There are things I won't have to. I won't have to lug this bucket. It's not so bad bringing it here, but when it's full of water, it gets heavy. And I've got to do it every day. If I can somehow get away from that. Let me have this water. He said, go get your husband. <clears throat> I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. Now, she knew that, but he knew it too. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. I don't know if it was her looks or her personality or maybe she was rich or she just liked wedding cake. But he said, you've had five husbands and the old boy that you are with now, you aren't even married to him. You certainly spoke the truth. You don't have a husband. You know, if you're going to talk with the Lord, he may just pull up some stuff that you weren't really excited about being brought to the table for conversation. This, this is the kind of stuff that, that happens at the altar. When we begin to talk with the... I got some water. <laughs> now, this is purified. It's got a label on it. It's in a bottle. And it costs a lot more than spring water. There's no need to try to hide from Jesus. He already knows what your situation is. That's why he stopped here. Oh, that preacher's, 
He's talking about things that he shouldn't talk about. Well, there's a lot of times, and I've, in over 50 years of preaching, I've seen it lots and lots of times that I've preached about things I had no idea. I didn't know why I was preaching it. And then somebody would come shake my hand when I was standing at the back door and say, do you have our house bugged? Have you got a hidden microphone in our car? We were just talking about that on the way to church this morning, or we've been dealing with that situation all week. I don't know it, but he knows it. You don't have a husband. What would you say about your situation? What does he say about mine? And the woman said, Sir, <laughs> notice how she's changed her tune a little bit. It was, what do you want me to get you a drink for? And now it's, sir. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship. While we Samaritans claim that it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped. You know, you can come to the altar and get things done or you can come and bring theological questions that don't amount to a hill of beans. This woman was trying to redirect things. Sir, you're a prophet. And you just got to messing around in my life with things I didn't want to talk about. Let's talk about a, a, a controversy here about where we're supposed to go to church. Should I be a Baptocostal? Or Catholicist. <laughs> the thing is, dear woman, believe me, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on the, this mountain, Gerizim, which by the way, was huge, it was a cliff that was almost overhanging the, the well that they were s sitting at. Mount Gerizim was right there. He it said, it's, it's coming a time when it won't matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain, and he could just point to it, or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. People don't like to hear that they don't understand. They think they got it whipped. I got I know. I got I got this all figured out. If you want a theological discussion where folks are, are solidly sure of what they believe and they know that they're right, you can find it in a bar Saturday night.
I do not remember my grandfather ever going to church. I guess uh, he talked about going a time or two, uh, but the only time I know of for sure that he went to church is when he went in a box. But he knew, and he'd argue with you, and he'd tell you how it was. And you better not argue with him. And the whole family had shut you down. Hush, Grandpa's getting his Bible. Time's coming. Indeed, it's now here. Oh, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Father's looking for those who will worship him that way. God is a spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We've got a nice place to worship. Well, I thought I'd get a little more response than that. We've got a nice place to worship. But you can get the Holy Ghost in a barn. I knew a man that got the Holy Ghost on his riding lawnmower. Brother Howard Goss, the first general superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church, got the Holy Ghost on a train. Brother Urshan talks about the time he got a call in Indianapolis to come. Uh, he got downtown, and, and there was a, a bus parked. Everybody had abandoned the bus, and, and it was blocking traffic in every direction. Somebody had called him. He got on the, he got on the bus, and, and there was a doctor there, and, and somebody was stretched out on the floor on that city bus talking in tongues. You can get the Holy Ghost online. If you get your heart right, you can get the Holy Ghost while you're online. It's not a matter of the vehicle. It's not a matter of the location. It's a matter of the heart. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I heard Brother Paul Price say one time, He was talking about the Olympics. He said, a real champion doesn't care what kind of a barn you train him in. Church, we had in Bartlesville, we we built a new one, had concrete. Oh, it was was nice concrete floors, rock church. Looks looks like a fortress. But the first one we had... The ladies were making peanut brittle, and one of them fell through the floor. <clears throat> Wasn't too bad because it's only about six inches off the ground. But their folks got the Holy Ghost in that place. 
praise God. The woman said, I I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back, and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with, with her? Why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jug beside the well, the very purpose she had come for. She left it and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. They're fixing a sandwich, you know, and spreading the mayonnaise and the lettuce and the tomato. And it must have been springtime, and all the gardens were good. And um, Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. And asked, did somebody bring him food while we were gone? Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me, from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. And I'm wondering, was he standing this way looking towards Sychar? And they had their backs to it. And he saw that group coming out of that city, out of that village. And he said, wake up and look around. The harvest is already ripe, or the fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests? It's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others have already done the work, and now you'll get to gather the harvest. And many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. Nothing beats a personal testimony. When they came out to see him, they begged him. They begged a Jew to stay with them in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves, now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. I want to take just a, just a moment here. I'm trying to close up. My, my starter works well, but the brakes are worn out. <laughs> but if you've ever worked a construction job or, or a, a, a place where there are a lot of folks working and it comes time for the midday meal, what you do is you go around and you get the orders of everybody. You hand them to one guy and send him in to the Dairy Queen or the Wawa or the Burger King or McDonald's or wherever you're going. 
and he buys all the, all the food and brings it back. But Jesus sent at least 12 into town to get food for 13. You see, occasionally he has to get us out of the way so he can work. And we see later when they say, Master, here's, here's your sandwich, and he, he turns it down. We see that he really wasn't interested in the food that he sent them to go get. There are times the Lord will have us do things that when it all winds up, it just doesn't make any sense at all. It makes absolutely no sense. I think I'm a walking billboard for that. But Jesus broke customs and conventions. He talked to a Samaritan. A Samaritan woman. Alone. You talk about breaking conventions and customs and, and just, just what is not done. There was purpose. He was reaching for her soul. The Lord's reaching for your soul this morning if you're here and you need to drink of this living water. You, you may not even know why you wound up here this morning. Or you may be uh, someone who's, who's come and come and come and come and come again and some more and so on and but he's, he's got his eye on you. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you need the Holy Ghost. If you don't have his spirit within you, you need his spirit within you. Now, this woman kept shifting the topic away from uncomfortable topics. He asked for a drink, and she came back with some smart aleck remark. She didn't need, she wanted to obey the custom. She wanted to go with the convention. She wanted it to stay just like it was. This may not be all that good, but I'm used to it. When he made a counter offer, I'll give you living water. And her, her smart aleck remark was, you don't even have a rope or a bucket. I don't see how you can help me. Folks look at the church and say, I don't see, uh, I, I just don't know how those folks can help. They haven't walked in my shoes. They don't know what I'm going through. They haven't had to fight the same demons I'm fighting. If only they knew who's sitting on these pews. If only they knew where we came from. If only they knew that Jesus was walking and talking with people who had been in worse shape. That maybe some of those disciples that went into town to get food had been a bigger mess than this woman had. Oh, Brother Moss, we, we, we have a church with, with people that uh, they don't dip and they don't chew and they don't run with folks that do. 
Yeah, well, he used to. Well, our, the, these people don't drink, and your, your people dress differently. Well, they used to dress differently than that, too. It's not where we are, it's where God wants to take us to. And all of our comebacks and all of our criticisms and all of our snide comments and, and all of our smart aleck remarks and all of the things that we can come up with don't change the fact that He wants you living right. Oh, Brother Moss, I just, I just couldn't fit in there. Well, I, I, I don't know what's stopping you. Bartlesville, we had a former prostitute teaching Sunday school class. Oh, you'd, you'd talk with a woman like that? Jesus did. I'm not above the master. Well, maybe she wasn't prostitute, but she was a little. Uh, there was another one that came that was definitely. She told me she had been. She was. So, <clears throat> are you better than Jacob? It's not a matter of are we better than Jacob. You don't know Jacob. All you got stories about what it used to be. But I'm telling you that right now, there's one who is here who is ready to forgive your sins. In baptism, wash them away and fill you with his spirit where that you can walk in a newness of light. Oh, if I could get this, it would save me trips. I wouldn't have to come to the well. <laughs> She's keep trying to get off the subject. We're, we're not talking about, uh, some folks fuss about Jesus changed the water into wine. Well, I, uh, if, if you'll let him, he'll change the beer into groceries and the, the liquor into furniture. He'll save you some trips. But that's not the point. That's extraneous. That's extra. Changing your life and getting you ready for an eternity is the main thing. I don't have a husband. Yeah, well, we've all got problems. We've all had difficulties. We just don't, don't talk about them a lot of times. Once we get them behind us, we leave them there. And that's a pretty good place to leave them. Well, I, I don't understand your way of worship. Well, I didn't understand it either when I got in. The first time I came to a Pentecostal church, I thought, Brother Beardsley, you and I can hold hands on this one. If I can get out of here, I'm not coming back. I did too. Something got a hold of me. And I still didn't understand it, but I came back. You come back, 
Let God fill you with his spirit and you may put on the biggest show of any of us. Not because you want to put on a show, but because you're so happy with what God's done in your life. <laughs> I know the Messiah is coming. <clears throat> Let me clue you in. The Messiah's come. He's here. He's here. That's what we're talking about this morning is that Messiah who was promised in the Old Testament has come in the Gospels and has come again in the form, in the, the power of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit to dwell within us and change us. You've got something you can't whip, turn it over to him. You got something that's a big problem that, that, that's overwhelming in your life, turn it over to him. Let him direct you. Let him strengthen you. Let him take care of that problem. There's nothing she could do about having had five husbands, but she could do something about the situation she was in at the moment. You can't fix yesterday, but he can fix tomorrow. And she left her water pot. She left her water pot. What was so important, what was the main thing, what was the, the purpose of her even being there suddenly didn't matter. And she went back to her world. And she said, come see a man. Come see what I found. Title slide, go tell your world. I want to point out some things here. Now, this evangelistic message, you need the Holy Ghost. But I want to point out something to the church. You need to tell your world. You've got a world that nobody else has. It's your world. Let me point out to you. Jesus sent at least 12, I don't know how many disciples were with him. We get disciples and apostles mixed up sometimes. But however many disciples there were that were traveling with Jesus this time, he sent them all into Samaria to get food to bring back to Jacob's well so they could eat or actually he was getting them out of his way. But let me just, just for a moment assume that it is just the 12 that we call apostles. They went to Samaria, 12 of what we would consider some of the most high-powered people in Christian history. Peter, James, John, James the Less, uh, Zip, uh, others of them, Alpheus and so on, and, and Bartholomew, and, and they went, and these high-powered preachers to be went to the city of Samaria, all of them, and the impact that they made was purely economic. They bought some food, and started some money circulating in the local economy. It wasn't their world. 
It wasn't their world. But this woman, who was known, not in a good way, but known throughout the village, went and said, come, see a man. You've got a world. You've got a world I can't reach. Sometimes we get together and it actually hinders the gospel. Twelve of them, anyhow, went into the city and because they could talk to each other, because they could fellowship with each other, because they could back each other up, because they didn't need that city except for food, they had no impact. But this woman, that it was her world, said, come see a man. Come see somebody. I found something. The disciples came back. They said, eat. Jesus said, I'm not interested in your food. There's something more important than that. You say harvest is months away, but it's ripe right now. My Uncle Dumas told a story one time. I come from farming people. And big family. My dad had 11 brothers and sisters. He was number five out of 12. And his older brother, my Uncle Dumas, had, was out. We were visiting in Oklahoma one time up from Texas. And, and <clears throat> my uncle took us out. He said, you see this land? He said, I bought this from Gerald. Now, Gerald was another uncle who had married, uh, what was she, number uh, oh, she must have been about number nine or ten of the kids, somewhere along in there. Uh, but, but Ruth and Gerald, and, and Gerald had planted a crop on that land. And then he got the idea that he would, have, he would go to New Mexico and work in the potash mines. And, and that's, that's where I knew Gerald. That's where, for all of my growing up years, that's where he was. But my Uncle Dumas said, Gerald planted that field and left it shortly after he planted it. But when it came harvest time, that was the best crop I've ever harvested. One planted, another harvested. I've sown seed that I'll never see come up. But it's holy seed. It's righteous seed. It's gospel seed. And it's going to come up. And somebody else is going to harvest it. And it'll be a harvest for the kingdom. Go tell your world. Go tell your world. You've got something to tell them. You've got something... I'm going to tell a story. I don't know if even Sister Moss has ever heard this one. I'm going to close with it, or try to. In the summer of 1967, I left Oklahoma City, where I had been associate minister in the First United Pentecostal Church there, working with Brother Barry King. I moved to Bartlesville, 
July the 1st, 1967. I got rented a little place. It was former servants' quarters. Years later, I thought, well, that's interesting. And it was 18 months before Sister Moss and I got married. So I was up there as a single young man for 18 months trying to build a church, trying to get something established, get it going. So, And I don't know why, but I've done some, some wild things, crazy things, just things that later on I look at them and I just scratch my head. Huh? But one day I was downtown, and there were a couple of big churches. They shared a block. Those two churches filled the whole block. One of them had this side, the other one had that side, and there was an alley ran between them. And so I went to one of these churches. It was during the mid midweek sometime, daytime. And I thought, I'm going to stop in here. And I was, I was passing out tracts in other churches and trying to get Bible studies started. I did some goofy things. Somebody said, well, Brother Moss, you're so wise. Well, then I was otherwise. <clears throat> and I found a door open. So I went in the church. It, it wandered all over that half block and. I heard a typewriter. Now, some of you may not remember what that is, but I heard a typewriter off somewhere. and So I followed the sound of that typewriter. And as I followed the sound of the typewriter, I had to go upstairs and, and around, and, and pretty soon I came to the room where this lady was, was typing something, working there for the church, and and, and I just uh, walked to the door, and I, I think I may have knocked on the, on the side of the door on the, on the uh, veneer there and, and knocked on it. And, and she said, yes, sir, can I help you? And I said, yes. Can you tell me how to be saved? Now, I'm a Pentecostal preacher. And I'm in one of the larger churches in town. And I'm asking somebody who works in that church, can you tell me how to be saved? If I ask you that question, do you have an answer for me? I'll never forget her answer. She looked like a deer in the headlights. Uh, 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 sir, uh, sir, I was 22 years old. Sir, our minister of evangelism is out to lunch, but he'll be back in just a little bit, and I'm sure he can help you. Go tell your world have a better answer than our minister of evangelism will be back later. You've got a story.
This, this woman didn't know anything about Bethlehem. She didn't know anything about Jesus kicking over tables in the temple. She didn't know about healing. She didn't know about casting devils out of Mary Magdalene. I don't even know how much of this stuff had happened at that time. But whatever had happened, she didn't know it. She didn't know what she, she didn't even know what she didn't know. That's ignorance indeed. But she knew something. I've met a man who has a story. He's the prophet. He can help. He's helping me. He can help you. Go tell your world. Go tell your world. Go tell your world. You've got a world that's your world alone. You've got friends in, in your neighborhood. You've got folks in, that you work with. You, you've got those that are in your family. Your family won't listen to me. Your co-workers don't know me. Your neighbors will wonder, what in the world's he doing here? How is it that you, a Jew, will talk to a Samaritan? But somehow it happened that because he broke the customs and conventions, that she was able to go back to town. He ignored all of her side trips that she was trying to take to get away from what he was saying. There's living water for you. She was beginning to get a little sip, and she wanted to share it. You need to go tell your world, but if you don't have an experience with him yet, you need to get an experience. You need to visit Jacob's well. You need to find that living water springing up. You need the Holy Ghost. You need to repent of your sins, get baptized and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of the washing away of those sins. You need to yield yourself to God. Worship Him. He's looking for folks that will worship Him. God's not looking for gold. He's not looking for silver. He's not looking for talent. He's not looking for education. He's looking for worshipers. And if you'll be a worshiper, He'll find you. If you'll worship Him, He'll fill you with His Spirit. Just open up and let Him in. As we stand this morning, Go tell your world. I'm telling my world. You are part of my world this morning. I'm telling you, we've got a God that loves you. Praise God. You need the Holy Ghost. This altar's open. This altar's open. You can come. You can seek the Lord. We'll pray with you. Fill my cup, Lord. I live.